To become less foolish, there are some things we must understand about foolishness. This message is the second in the series, Wiser. The message is entitled, Foolproofing Your Life. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets as we continue our series together entitled Wiser. And I want to talk to you this weekend about foolproofing your life. How do you and I foolproof our lives? A key ingredient for success in life is wisdom. You and I need more than just intellectual capacity, knowing a lot of facts and information. We need wisdom. And to begin our series together, as we did last weekend, I gave you a definition of wisdom that we're working with in this series, a very important set of phrases that help us, helps us to understand what wisdom is. It's going to be on the screen for you. I'd like to ask you to read it together with me at all of our campuses. Let's get our definition of wisdom as we begin today. Are you ready? Here we go. Wisdom is the accumulation and possession of knowledge, truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values, proper priorities, good sense, and prudent judgment from God's perspective and the ability to practically apply these to everyday life and decisions. A lengthy definition, but it really covers all the basis of what wisdom is. Wisdom is really all about more than just smarts. Wisdom is about possessing knowledge and truth and guiding principles and moral precepts and right values and proper priorities and good sense and prudent judgment from God's perspective. Not from our perspective, but from, but from the perspective of God so that we can then practically apply that or live it in our lives. It's not just enough to have it in our heads. We need it in our hearts and it needs to be lived out through our lives. So to be wise is to be different from simply being smart. There are a lot of smart people who are not very wise. There are some people that may not seem to be very smart, but they do have wisdom in the way they live their lives. Now, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And all through the Bible, you see this comparison and contrasting between people who are wise and people who are foolish. In the Bible, very clearly, through examples, stories, and also through very clear Scripture passages, helps us to see the distinction between the two, people who live a wise life and people who live a foolish life. And today, as I said, we're talking about the opposite side of wisdom. We're talking about foolishness. How do you and I foolproof our lives? Because all of us have to contend with a bit of foolishness inside of us. How do we actually get rid of it and become the wiser person that God wants us to be? And there are four things I'd like to share with you today that will help you to foolproof your life. Number one, you need to realize that there is a difference between sinfulness and foolishness. I want to take just a moment and talk about those two words just briefly, sinfulness and foolishness. We need to understand what it means to sin and what it means to be foolish. To sin is any time you and I disobey God's Word or disobey God's will. That God has said something clearly in His Word or by implication of His will to us, and we disobey that. When you disobey God, it is a sin. A sin is a very serious thing. A sin is an affront to God. It is a rebellion against God. The best definition I've ever heard of sin is found in its spelling, S-I-N. So right in the center of sin is I. When I'm living for I instead of God, then I'm living in sin. I'm disobeying God, doing my will instead of His, following my word instead of His word of the, word of the world around me instead of His word. Foolishness is simply a lack of judgment. Some things are sinful and some things are foolish. By the way, all sin is foolish, 
But there's a distinction between sinfulness and foolishness. For example, it is not a sin to sit down and eat four chocolate pies, but it is foolish. There's no scripture verse that says, thou shalt not eat an excessive amount of chocolate pie, but it is foolish to do that. And so as as silly as the example is, there are things in life that really represent foolish decisions that we make. They may not necessarily be sinful, but they are foolish. And the reason we need to know the distinction is that so often we treat sin seriously, we don't treat foolishness so seriously, but we need to combine them together and realize that both of them are bad for us. And that leads to the second point I'd like to share with you today. And that's foolishness like sin always has potential negative consequences. That when you and I engage not only in sin, but engage in foolish behavior, activities in life that are opposite of what is wise and prudent, whether it be foolish decisions that we make, or foolish habits we have, or foolish words we speak, or foolish friendships that we develop, or foolish actions that we take, or foolish patterns of life that we develop, anytime we do that, we're setting ourselves up for some negative consequences. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says it this way. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Does that sound like some folks you know? They ruin their own lives by the choices they make, and then they want to blame God. God, why did you get me into this mess? And God did not have anything to do with it. It was their own choices that got them into trouble, but they ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they get angry with God about life. And so the Bible warns us of the consequences of foolishness, not just the consequences of sin, but also the consequences of foolishness. I want to take you to some stories and scriptures, scripture that will illustrate this this consequence of foolishness. I'm going to start in First uh, Samuel chapter 25 in the Old Testament. You'll need to turn there. You can write the reference down. I'm going to tell you the story. It's a very amazing, interesting story. There are three characters in the story. David, whom you will know eventually to become King David of Israel, a man by the name of Nabal, and his wife, Abigail. So would you say those three with me? David, David, Nabal, and Abigail. Again, David, Nabal, and Abigail, three main characters. During this particular time in history, David was not king yet. He was not yet king of Israel. He was fleeing from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And so David was running around in the wilderness with 600 men that he had with him trying to hide from Saul who wanted to take his life. Nabal was a man who was a very wealthy landowner and livestock owner. And Abigail was his wife. In this particular time in 1 Samuel chapter 25, David had been in the wilderness around the area where Nabal had his livestock and shepherds. And so oftentimes, Nabal would send out his shepherds during the day to go to various places in the wilderness to find pasture land for the livestock. And during that time, David and his 600 men would guard the shepherds of of Nabal to make sure that nothing happened. And so they treated them very kindly and served them greatly. And so they were taking care of Nabal's men. And when it came time for David to move on, David sent a delegation to Nabal and said, you know what, we need some supplies and we realize that you have a lot of resources. We're just simply asking that you would give us some food for our journey. We've taken good care of your men while we've been around them. We've tried to be kind to them. We're asking for a favor. Would you just help us out with a little bit of supplies for my men so that they can eat? And Nabal resisted. Nabal said, no, not giving you anything. Had a lot of harsh things to say about David. He rejected David's appeal. By the way, the name Nabal in Hebrew means the fool. 
What happened during this time was Abigail, his wife, learned about what was going on and realized that David now was about to come down upon Nabal and actually attack him and get the food necessary because Nabal would not, would not give it to him. And so Abigail gets a little delegation of her own unbeknownst to her husband and goes out and finds David and presents food to him and settles the situation, diffuses everything so that her husband is not attacked and killed there in that moment because of David's anger. The Bible says that 10 days later, Nabal died. He lost his life. David didn't take his life. He just died. He died. And not long after that, Abigail became David's wife. Here's what I want you to see. Foolishness will kill you. Foolishness will kill you. It's not the same as sin, but it can still kill you. Okay? And wisdom, because Abigail demonstrated wisdom... Wisdom will put you in the royal palace, okay? And so the life that you choose is very significant. Do I choose the pathway of foolishness? Am I going to be a Nabal or will I be an Abigail? How will I live my life? Jesus made this very clear in his teaching. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. The words of Jesus, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Notice this, he's talking about wisdom, who, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Notice again, there's strength to a life of wisdom. Notice verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So you see the opposite of the wise man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you see that there are consequences to the way you live your life? Again, Matthew 25, Jesus makes the distinction. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, speaking of the last days, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were, help me out, church, five were foolish, five were wise. You got 10 ladies, five of them are foolish, five of them are wise. What's this foolishness and wisdom look like? The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones, notice this, said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. How I many notice that, that, that fools are always wanting to take stuff from wise people, right? Okay. When they live a foolish life and they get into trouble, who are they looking for? They're looking for the people who've lived with wisdom, right? To bail them out. And so foolish people are always looking for somebody to bail them out of their trouble because they haven't prepared themselves appropriately with wisdom. No, they replied, there may not be enough. The wise one responded back, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Speaking of the day or the hour that Jesus will come. And so it pays to live a life of wisdom as opposed to a life of foolishness. There are consequences of foolishness. 
Foolish living is dangerous. Number three, the third thing. We're talking about how to foolproof your life. You must understand that God helps the foolish and God helps the sinful. Here's the good news. Before I get to the good news, let me remind you of some bad news. The bad news is every one of us here, we are all sinful. Not a single one of us here does not sin, and because we're sinful, we're also foolish. All of us have been foolish in our lives. All of us have foolishness in us. All of us have sinfulness in us. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all, notice this, not a few, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every person here, every person that has ever lived, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah the prophet speaks on behalf of God and these words and says, we all, again, there's that word, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own or our own way. We are all sinners and we are all foolish. How would you agree with me? today and say there's been some point in time that you have disobeyed God, you did the wrong thing instead of the right thing. Go ahead and throw your hand up and go ahead and admit it. All of us have, right? How many of you have done some foolish things in your life? All of us have. We've done foolish things in our life. So all of us are sinners and all of us are foolish. Now it's extremely important that we understand how God treats sinful, foolish people because that's who we are, amen? By nature, we do dumb things. By nature, we do foolish things. By nature, we do sinful things. So you and I need to understand how God treats people like us, because if we don't understand how God treats us and responds to us, we're going to be in trouble when we try to go to Him. So let's take a look at how God treats sinful, foolish people. Number one, read it with me on your notes. It says that God... Are you there? Read with me. God does what? God loves and cares about fools and sinners. Is that on your notes? That's not on your notes. Then don't read it, okay? I'll read it. (laughs) Took you off the hook right there, okay? God loves and cares about foolish folks. Aren't you glad that God loves and cares for people like you and me? Amen? He loves you. Even though you're sinful and even though you're foolish, God still loves you. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, while we were still foolish, Christ died for us. And so I want you to know today, if you're sitting there and thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm a sinful person, I've made some foolish mistakes, I do some foolish things at times, you need to remember that God still loves you. Number two, God forgives and saves and redeems fools and sinners, that God reaches down to people like you and me, and He forgives us, He saves us, and He redeems us, He gets us back on track with Him. There's a story in Acts chapter 9. Let me tell you the story, a little bit of the the context of the story, then I'll read you some verses here in just a moment. It's a story of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a very religious, smart, intellectual man, but he hated Christians. This is the early church. Right after Jesus has been crucified and risen from the grave and ascended back to the Father and the church has just started, and Saul was this religious guy that hated Christians. He wanted to kill Christians, get them out of the way. He had this murderous spirit about him toward those who followed Jesus. And so while he was, had a lot of intellectual ability, he was smart, he was not very wise because he was actually fighting against the very thing that God was doing through salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 6. Verse number 1, down through verse 6. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that's following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let's stop there for a moment. So here is Paul. He's getting all the information he can to go to Damascus to find out anyone that's in Damascus, Syria, that is a follower of Jesus and is intent is to not only arrest them, but bring them back to Jerusalem, where most likely they will be put on trial and martyred for their faith. This is a guy who is trying to destroy the work of Jesus Christ in the world. Now, if you were God, how would you treat Saul of Tarsus? I think I would zap him. How about you, okay? Let's just get this guy out of the way, okay? He's causing trouble for the church. He's creating all these problems. Let's just, let's send an angelic assassination team. Let's get rid of him. Let's knock him out. Let's get him out of the way. That would be the way that you and I would think in human wisdom. But God's wisdom is wiser than man's wisdom. And so God reaches down and says, I'm going to do something for this guy that no one has hope for. I'm going to do something for this man who is opposing me. And the Bible says in verse number three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. What you need to see is that God forgives and God saves and God redeems sinners and fools. Paul, Saul of Tarsus was a sinner. He was a fool, but God reached down and he saved him. He forgave him and he redeemed him. He does that for you and me as well. The third thing I want you to see here is that God rescues, listen, God rescues fools and sinners from their foolishness and from their sinfulness. This is important because this is called mercy. When you and I, how many of you in your life at some point in time, you've made a mistake along the way, and when you realized you made the mistake, you cried out to God, God, help me, have mercy on me. Help me in this situation. And have you seen at times God reach down and get you out of stuff you got yourself into? Right? Are you with me? That you made a mess, you got yourself into something, and it was nobody's fault but your own. You messed up, you did something foolish, and you cried out to God, and God came down and rescued you from the stupid things you'd done from the mistakes that you'd made. He came and gave you mercy. David understood this. When he had committed, uh, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he realized he'd done wrong, he comes to God and he prays this prayer, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And David experienced the cleansing and the mercy of God. You study his story, you'll see how God worked in his life mercifully. What I also want you to see is how does God treat sinners and fools? He also educates us. He educates us and helps us to learn His ways, wise ways. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 66, Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Now, all these things we've just seen, this is how God treats sinners and fools. What is our response to it? And our response needs to be, as I say in the fourth point here, to understand that it takes work on our part to become wise. While God reaches down to us to help us, there's some work that is required by us 
for wisdom to become a part of our lives. Wisdom, as we talked about last weekend, does not just show up in your life. We talked about three phrases. You have to tune in, you have to cry out, and you have to search for, right? Let's do it again. You have to tune in, you have to cry out, and you have to search for. Okay, wisdom. The Bible teaches that you have to do something as a part of this. So wisdom is not just going to show up in your life. God reaches down, but He wants to teach you and train you in wisdom. But you have a part to play. You're a student, but the question is whether you're a good student or not so good student. So the question is, what kind of student are you? The Bible says of Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Are you growing in wisdom? Is there a place in your life when you can say, you know what, I am getting wiser than I used to be. I'm seeing the patterns of wisdom develop in my life. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Paul makes this statement, for this reason, he writes to the Colossian believers, but it applies to us. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all, notice the word there, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So it's, it's a prayer that is prayed that we cooperate with. We become good students. Moses prayed this prayer in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It doesn't just come without effort. We have to be taught. We have to gain it. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. This is our responsibility because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so you've got to work to become wise. And God's plan for you in 2018, are you hearing me today? This is a word of God to you today for your life. God wants you to gain wisdom. And as you gain wisdom, you improve your life. The only way to improve your life is to become wiser. You can't stay as you are right now and expect your life to improve. Until you get wiser, your life is not going to get better. Your life gets better when you get wiser. And so you and I need to work and put our effort in. So I'm going to share with you, and these are on your notes. There are five things that are action steps that I want to encourage you to take as we are moving forward and doing the work necessary to become wise. Would you read these together with me? Number one, you need to be aware. What does that mean, to be aware? It means to be conscious, 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 of, conscious of and alert to the reality that you and I, listen to me, you and I are sinful and foolish. We're all one step away of, from doing something foolish in our lives. And if you're not aware of that, you will get yourself in trouble. If you don't realize that there's a sinful nature in you that can very easily lead you astray, and there's foolishness in you that can lead you astray, if you're not aware of that, you will not beware of that, Okay. So you must be aware so that you will beware of it. Because all of us have a sin nature and all of us have foolishness bound up in our hearts. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 17 said it this way, the heart, that's your heart and my heart, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So many times in life, so many times in interacting with people, I'll talk to people about decisions that they make, and they'll say, well, I did this, or I did that. I'll say, well, why did you do that? What, what made you make that decision? And their response, well, it just felt good in my heart. 
And from an outside objective perspective, it looks absolutely ridiculous what they did, but they let their heart lead them. How many times in your life have you let your heart lead you? Let me tell you, your heart will get you in trouble. Because your heart is deceptive. What you feel inside is not always what you ought to do, okay? You don't need your heart to lead you. You need the Lord to lead you, okay? You don't need your heart to lead you. You need God's Word to lead you. Sometimes your heart will be telling you one thing, and God's Word will be saying something else. And you won't feel what the Word says. You'll feel what you want to do. But you don't. You, if you're going to live in wisdom, you don't do what your heart says to do because it feels good. You do what God says to do because it's the right thing to do. Amen? Okay? So this is important because your heart will lead you astray. And so you have to be aware that your heart is a liar. Your heart is a deceiver. You got this, and so do I. We all have this heart in us that is bound towards sin and toward foolishness, and your heart will deceive you. Jesus writes to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. This was a church that thought they had it all together. These are folks that thought, man, we got our spiritual life going strong. We're good. We don't need anything. And Jesus sends these words. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus said, you don't even see. You're not aware of your true spiritual condition. If you and I are going to foolproof our lives, we must be aware of how easily sin can lead us astray and how easily foolishness can lead us astray. The second thing that you and I need to do, read it with me, is the word. One word, what is it? See. Let me explain what I mean by that. So you beware, aware, and then you see when you're about to step into a trap. You're aware of the temptation, the trap of temptation, before you step into it. Because The best time to realize that something's going to get you in trouble is not after you've gotten in trouble, but before you get in trouble. It's seeing it ahead of time. It's called discerning. It's called seeing where this is going to lead you. Most of us have had the experience of purchasing a car at some point in time. You decided what car you wanted to buy, and you knew kind of the make, the model, perhaps even the color. And isn't it interesting that after you've decided what car you want to buy, you see that car everywhere. Everywhere you go, you say, there's that car. Okay, wow, I can't believe it. There's the car I want to buy. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. You know why? Because you've, you've sensitized yourself to the reality of something, and now you begin to see what you've sensitized yourself to. When you sensitize yourself to the reality that all of us are sinful and all of us are foolish and all of us have a heart that can lead us astray, then it begins to cause you to see things that can get you in trouble, not after you get in trouble, but before you get in trouble, Okay? That's why Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation. Lord, help me before I step into the trap. Help me to see it and help me to realize I don't want to go there, okay? Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any, notice, see, help me to see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The third phrase you'll see on your notes, read together with me, is to acknowledge and confess. Let me explain what we mean by that. We're talking about foolproofing your life. You start by being aware, aware that your heart Your sinfulness can lead you astray. Then you see, I'm going to see these things before I step into them. However, 
if I do happen to step into something that is a trap, that I fall prey to, that I end up doing something sinful or foolish in my life, immediately as soon as I recognize it, I'm going to, what were the words again? Confess, acknowledge, and confess. I'm going, to, I'm going to own up to it. I'm going to own this thing before I let it suck me in. I'm going to own it as soon as I recognize that I've made the wrong decision in my life. I'm going to own it. Own it. I'm going to say this is something I did wrong. Why is this important? Because here's our, our tendency, folks. This will help you. When you and I do something wrong and we step into a trap of sin, sin is deceitful and sin will try to convince you that even though you may in your head or heart know something is wrong, it'll try to convince you it's okay, it's not a big deal. It's all right. Everybody does it. Well, at least it's not as bad as, and then fill in the blank. And so we, what we do is we start justifying our sin. First of all, it's a little thing that we do, and we say, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm not going to worry about it. And here's the thing to recognize. One little thing in your life becomes a bigger thing, and a bigger thing becomes a bigger thing. And before long, you've drifted away from God far further than you ever intended on. Why? Because you've shut down your conscience. You've closed off that sensitivity to God. You haven't been willing to acknowledge and confess. See, that's what acknowledgement and confession does. When you recognize you've done something wrong, immediately you say, God, I am not going to try and justify this. I'm not going to rationalize this. I realize that this is nothing more than sin and foolishness, and I acknowledge it to be such because I want to get back on the right track with you. The psalmist David said in Psalm 32 verse 5, then I acknowledged, I confessed, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, Lord, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Number four, what do we do? If we're going to foolproof our life, we must learn to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is not just God, I'm sorry, forgive me, with the intention of going back and doing exactly the same thing again. Repentance is when I say, God, I'm sorry, I've messed up here. I stepped over into the trap of sin. I'm going to own it. This is not right. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to justify or rationalize it. This is real. I've made the mistake. I own it. Now, Lord, I'm also going to change. I want to repent. By your grace and power, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to live in this again. I'm going to change this attitude. I'm going to change this behavior. That's all the word repentance means. Repentance means that you actually do something to turn your life around. Actually, the meaning of the word is to do a 180. You're going this way, and repentance means you turn, and now you're going this way. You're turning away from that which has led you astray, so you get back on the right track again. Listen to what Paul said about repentance in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. This is helping anybody today, amen? All four of you, that's awesome, okay? For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us, notice what? Where? Away from sin and results in salvation. So 
the kind of sorrow that God wants you to experience when you've done something wrong, you stepped over here into sin, something that's foolish, and you realize that you own it, then the kind of sorrow that God wants you to experience is that which leads you where? Away from sin and results in salvation. Actually, the word salvation there literally means deliverance. It changes your life. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. If you just feel, just going to feel guilty about stuff and not do anything about it, it's going to kill you on the inside, but good and godly guilt leads you away from sin back to God. The fifth word, what is it? Learn. Learn. Why is this important? You're tracking with me, so how do you foolproof your life? Number one, you begin to be aware. My goodness, I'm not careful. I can, I can step into sin. I can be foolish. I've got to be aware that my heart is deceitful. I've got to be careful. I'm not just listening to what I feel like I want to do. I'm living my life on the basis of God's Word. And so you're aware. And then you see the situations that come up where you could step into a trap that has been set for you by the enemy. You're praying, lead me not into temptation. When you do happen to step into something that is sinful, and all of us will and all of us do, when you do that, you immediately acknowledge it and confess it to God and own it in your life. And then you repent of it saying, God, I don't want to live there anymore. And then you learn from it. You learn a lesson. This is important. You learn to mine, M-I-N-E, your mistakes. You find something out of that mistake that you can learn from it for your life that'll help you to be wiser. Okay, amen? This is the whole goal because we're talking about doing the work that makes you wiser. You're not just going to become wiser if you don't Think about what got me into this. Why did I do this? Where, where, what was going on inside of me? What, did I, what was the situation that allowed me to fall prey to this? And so you learn your lessons from the mistakes that you make. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Notice this. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. God says, I want to teach you. I just want to instruct you. I want to help you to learn how to live a wise life. I just want to be your teacher. All I'm asking of you is just be a good student. That's all I want you to do. Just be a good student. When I try to teach you a lesson, don't be like a stubborn horse or a stubborn mule. Don't get all stiff on the inside like you're some big person. No, get to the place of humbling yourself before me and let me teach you some stuff with your life. And then you'll find out that I've got a better way for you to live your life than you ever dreamed of in your life. But it requires you to not be so stubborn, okay? How I many you know that God can't deal with you if you're stubborn? He's gonna, he'll deal with you, but it'll be a hard way of dealing with you, okay? The best way to learn is to submit yourself to him. Listen to Psalm 34, 11. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. God's saying, I just want you to come. I just want to be your teacher. That's all I want to do. I want to help you with your life. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. James 4, and with this we're going to conclude. Listen to what it says. But he, God gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud. Notice, did you hear that? What does God do? What does it say, folks? Help me out here. What does he do? Let me tell you something. You don't want God opposing you. Amen? You don't want God opposing you. So pride and stubbornness is something that causes God to be opposed to you. God opposes the proud, but He favors or gives grace to the 
humble. So what do you do? Humble yourselves before God. That's the wisest thing you can do. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. In other words, it's saying, take seriously when you've you've walked away from God. But then it says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will He do? He will lift you up in honor. God's just simply saying, would you just learn, okay? Would you just, just, just be a good student? Don't be so stubborn and don't be so proud and don't be so resistant. Don't think that you've got your life all together, that you're all that. You're not. I want to help you. And the only way I can help you is if you'll humble yourself before me. And if you'll do that, I will lift you up in honor. I'll help you to have the life that's based in wisdom. God wants to help you and me. He has a plan for your life that is amazing. Did you hear me? God has a plan for your life that far exceeds anything that you can imagine. But to get to the fullness of God's plan for your life, you have to grow in wisdom, which means that you have to foolproof your life. You have to learn to be less foolish and more wise. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word today. We're so grateful for your love for us. Thank you that you care about us as sinners, as foolish people. Lord, we've all sinned against you. We've all done foolish things for which we're sorry, Lord. We thank you that you're a God that forgives and saves and redeems. We thank you that you are the God that helps us and teaches us and instructs us in new ways of living. And I pray that each one of us would simply be good students, Lord, of you. I pray that as we're moving into this new year, that you would help us to humble ourselves before you, Lord, to come close to you so that you can come close to us. You can help us to gain the wisdom that you desire for us so we can experience the life that you want us to live. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. 
your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.